Well, hello there, friends, and welcome to another edition of Syracuse Sports, presented by Krause Health, the exclusive healthcare partner for SU Athletics. And we are going to have some fun with this one, friends, because we pretty much turn the show over to you today. Now, a lot of people do this in various corners of the internet. They're called AMAs, right? Ask me anything. And we always want to know what's on your mind as a Syracuse Sports Insider and what a benefit it is to be a Syracuse Sports Insider in general because you get my breaking news, my opinions, my insight first. You can text back and forth with me during SU games. You can send me questions, opinions, thoughts anytime I text you, you text me. The group itself gets texts from me every day of the week pretty much on all matters of Syracuse Sports. You want to be a Syracuse Sports Insider anyway by texting the word ORANGE to 315 847-3895. But a special benefit of being a Syracuse Sports Insider is you guys always get a heads up about what's coming on the podcast and quite often get a voice in that podcast and a priority on the podcast and asking questions of guests we're having on, topics that we're doing, and you're always in the loop on that, right? This is your show today and that We're not going to do an AMA. We're going to do an ABA, and we're going to put a a little twist on it. It's not an ask me anything. It's an ask ask Brent anything. Ask me a question. Ask Brent anything. No, this is not working. Anyway, that's what we're going with. An ABA today, I sent a, a group text out to our Syracuse Sports Insiders, and I said, what do you guys want to ask about? Anything on your mind. So what do you say we dig right in and get into it? I want to tell you, though, that we've got a couple things coming up this week on Syracuse Sports. We're going to hear from ACC Network analyst Kelly Gramlich, talk all about Syracuse women's basketball, their path to the tournament, uh, what they've got to do down the stretch here in terms of they've already got a double buy in the ACC tournament. Do they have a shot there? Of course, De'Aja Fair and the incredible season that she's had. We're going to talk to Kelly about that and some football as she does the amazing uh, Gramlick and McLean podcast and has been doing a lot of ACC football offseason stuff. Uh, the legend, the four-time All-American, one hell of an American, Rick Beardsley is going to join us on the pod this week. Patrick Stevens, even if Syracuse, now on the men's side, their path to bracketology is slim. I want to know what it is. And a lot of you have questions about the net rankings and why the ACC seems to be a little lower in the net rankings these days. There is no better bracketologist to talk about all that with than Patrick Stevens. So we got some cool things coming, not to mention our regular postgame shows, Virginia Tech Tuesday night, Louisville on Saturday night. So a lot to come on the Syracuse sports front and Syracuse basketball postgame as well. So stay tuned for all of that. But today we turn the show over to you, our Syracuse Sports Insiders, and your great uh, your great questions. And uh, let us dig right in here. And Matt, see, this is exactly what I'm talking about, who leads us off here. It says, good morning, Dr. Axe. Why do we drive on parkways and park on driveways? Matt, I don't know. I couldn't find the answer to this. It is one of those great life mysteries that, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to solve here today on Syracuse Sports but I appreciate that you appreciate the tenor of ask me anything. Ax, Brent, anything? No, still not working for you. Any question on your mind? I'm sorry I couldn't help you with that. If anybody out there knows, please text, 
email, tweet, whatever the case may be. Why is that the case? That's so weird. I don't get that. But more on what's on your mind as Syracuse sports fans here. Jack says, for the Axe, Brent, anything. He's in on the title. What is the likelihood of getting everyone but Judah back next season? Sean, who do you see on next year's hoop roster? Who stays and who goes? John P., who do you see staying and going from this year's team? And what do you think Autry's starting five will be? Do you sense a theme here? There's uh, plenty more of those similar questions. So this is clearly on your mind. It's on my mind, guys, because we're in a new era where we're at the end of the road here. There's only a few regular season games left, the ACC tournament, then whatever postseason fate awaits the Orange after that. Name, image, and likeness, the transfer portal, looking over the horizon. What is next year's team going to look like? This is It's like free agency in the National Football League. We're into that season now. The NFL draft combine's going on. It's all about looking over the horizon to what the roster is going to look like next year. It's on your mind as a Syracuse basketball fan. It's on my mind and that constantly shaping roster that's in front of us. So I thought we would just kind of workshop it a little bit here and take a look at the possibilities. Now, in terms of who I think could leave, boy, this is a heck of a question, guys, because everybody's essentially a free agent now. And I think there's some players, remember, there was a court case just recently, Tennessee sued the NCAA, the NCAA lost. So NIL, NIL rules are basically out the window right now. Rules? There are no rules here. So there are players tampering what's that you know that could just go to the highest bidder in the transfer portal look at jesse edwards last year prime example of it so i feel like if we go through this team we know pretty much judah mince is gone i think judah mince is either going to make a go of it at the pros or if he doesn't like what he hears in the pros in terms of draft position where he could go if he'll get drafted at all, if he doesn't want to go to the G League, whatever the case may be. If he doesn't like what he hears there and testing the waters again for a second time, does he come back to Syracuse automatically? And I'm saying this generally. I have no inside information on this. He could go to the highest bidder. There could be programs out there that know that he... I'm just going to throw one out there. Georgetown. Okay, Yeah, God forbid, right? But he's from that area. Maryland, somebody in his, that can really tug at your heartstrings and can also offer you more NIL money than Syracuse is. Now, Judah's doing well. I don't know the exact figure, but he's in a lot of commercials. He makes a lot of personal appearances around here. I think he's doing pretty well in the NIL department. But one way or the other, I don't think Judah comes back next year. I think you take him back. If so, I just don't think so. I think we're going to see Monir Hema move on from this team. It's just It's a crowded position at center. And I think one of them's going to go one way or the other. I think that's going to be a target in the transfer portal for this coaching staff one way or the other, which makes you think about Naheem McLeod, who transferred once, injury comes back. Does Peter Carey look around? Does he want to play somewhere else? Because that's the lure of the transfer portal. You may have to downgrade, if you will, a little bit. Maybe you're not in the ACC, but do you want to go somewhere where you're going to play? And, and be featured as opposed to a backup at a place like Syracuse. I'm not going to predict Peter Carey to leave, but I think that center position is in flux, right? William Patterson, will he think about going? Like, all these guys have a decision to make about where they want to be, and I don't really have in tune to their personal preferences, academics, all these things. I'm just looking at it from what is the market like. I feel like there's going to be one or two surprises, right? If I'm Justin Taylor, 
Am I taking a hard look at what my role is at Syracuse? What will it be next year? Do I fit in? Am I still a starter next year? Which I don't think is likely, honestly. Can he find somewhere where he can really hone his game? He's a starter here, but he's only, and we're going to get into this with another question coming up, but the minutes he's playing, the role he's taking on, honestly, he's kind of taking it from a hard time from the Syracuse fan base. Certainly, I've been critical of him at times, just from a basketball standpoint, where exactly he fits. Adrian Autry offered a staunch defense of him the other day after the Notre Dame game, but I feel like he's got some options and he'll have to think about it, right? So I would put him in the surprise category. Another guy who I wouldn't be surprised to see go, I think ultimately will come back, and I think Syracuse has to do everything they can to get him back, but what a Chris Bell kind of be up there for the highest bidder. Someone can offer him more NIL money. And look, he's come on as of late, particularly in the last six games, expanded his offensive game, his defensive game's getting better. I don't know anything particular behind the scenes about whether he likes it here or not. If you're just looking at it from a basketball standpoint, he would fit to me as somebody who could take a look around, maybe get more NIL money somewhere else and a bigger role somewhere else he almost fits now Gerard was different because he was a fifth year senior but he almost fits like that Gerard mold in the sense of like he could just you know cross the stream somewhere in the ACC so I'm not predicting Taylor and Bell to go I think Mintz and Hema go I think Taylor and Bell could and really would you be stunned if anybody else if Malik Brown got a better NIL offer somewhere or wanted to go somewhere else and again I'm just spitballing here I think you're going to see J.J. Starling come back I think you're going to see most of the other names that are on this roster come back but it's just the natural way of things in the transfer portal right so that's who I think could go as the potential to go and then I was asked by John about the starting five next year which I was trying to workshop so Let's assume that Judah's gone. Do you put Elijah Moore, Choppa, the freshman in, as the starting point guard, or do you put Quadir in the backcourt with J.J. Starling? That, I think, is an interesting conversation. I certainly think Donnie Freeman, the superstar, top 10 freshman, number one power forward uh, rated by on three, is going to come right in and start. I don't see why you wouldn't. He's exactly what this team needs. Adrian Autry has said as much when he talked about Donnie Freeman. We discussed that on a prior podcast with Connor Pignatello, who we had on discussing recruiting. I think he's in the starting five. And then assuming Malik Brown comes back, do you start him or do you put Naheem back at the starting center position, which was kind of a, a token thing anyway. He was kind of coming out anyway, and Malik was getting the bulk of the minutes after that. But I think you just keep Brown in that position. And then the other wild card is whether or not Chris Bell's back or not. If Bell is back, I think that rounds out your starting five. What about Chance Westry, who we have not seen this year but have heard great things about? Is he better off the bench? Do you have Kyle Cuff back next year? And then you go through the names that are still around, and then there's a name or two that I don't know, guys, because you know they're going to add one or two in the portal one way or the other just by the, the natural transi- transactions that are going to happen. So projecting next year's starting five on February 27th is difficult just given the nature of, of the portal. But it was certainly on your mind, and a good question from all you guys. John added this, by the way. What's your top option at varsity and possibilities? Now, I don't know if this makes me like a bad Central New Yorker, but I got to be honest with you guys. And nothing against either place. They're both fantastic. I just don't eat it either that often. 
I know. Can you believe it? Blasphemy. I haven't been to varsity in probably two years. Just not a place I go that often. Again, nothing against it. I'm just not on the hill that often during lunch or dinner time. Like when I go to games, I go right to the dome. I don't really go to Marshall Street or anything beforehand. So just the opportunity to go to varsity hasn't presented itself to me in the past couple of years. And I don't go out of my way to go there. So I honestly haven't been there for the past couple of years. Shame on me for that. But I love the raps at varsity. And I don't go to possibilities that often either. And look, they're doing fine without me. For sure. But uh, the times I have gone, chicken parm, baby. Can't go. You can't go wrong with anything at possibilities. But uh, I know those are two central New York staples and two of the places that popped to mind right away when you talk about restaurants in this area. And maybe just because I've been there so many times previously, they're just not places I go often these days. So uh, I don't know. I might get in trouble for that one. But they're both uh, fantastic places. And, and you really can't go either wrong. Uh, wrong. It, at, at either place with, with anything, to be honest with you. Al uh, adds this, and it's the, the uh, text I mentioned about Justin Taylor to add to the conversation here. Do you think Justin Taylor would feel less pressure at this point coming off the bench? Al, I think it's a good question. I just don't know if it would matter because right now he's averaging 22 minutes a game, which puts him right on the cut line, Right. As a starting five guy, Quadir is also averaging 22 minutes per game. Those two are in a dead heat. Is Justin Taylor essentially a bench guy now? Look, look at the Notre Dame game. He has a terrific first half, found his shot a little bit, got into a rhythm, made some great defensive plays, and then did he even play in the second half? If he did, it wasn't a lot, right? He's not on the court often down the stretch. I feel like it depends on what kind of defensive matchups that Autry wants, but it feels like Quadir has kind of taken on that role, especially down the stretch. Look at the Notre Dame game with Notre Dame coming back and really getting into this thing. You see a lot more of Quadir on the court anyway than you do of Justin Taylor. But I get the question in that would the mentality change if you're coming off the bench, right? There's something about these guys that know they come off the bench, know they've got to do something in a short period of time, Quadir is that guy now. Provide the spark, provide the energy, and provide what a bench player can do for a basketball team, right? So to answer your question, I, I, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no because it's almost better that he starts, has that feeling, has that confidence as a starter, but knows like when it comes down to it that Quadir is going to be on the court. I think that's what it comes down to, right? But it's a it's a great question. You can honestly talk me into either one at this point. It's all about mentality, right? And I feel like you take away that starting role, it's almost like a confidence killer, but the argument against that is it hasn't worked to this point, right? And would a little change, would a little shakeup be better for him? Talicia had uh, two great questions here. What's your favorite sports team to cover at Syracuse? And your favorite Syracuse team ever? Two great questions there from Talicia. So my favorite team to cover at Syracuse, boy, I love football season. I love the rhythm of football season. I love spending all week kind of strategizing and putting together a game plan, essentially, on what you think is going to happen and just the rhythm of going through and talking to players and hearing what they're saying and then 
you know, kind of finding the strategy and the matchups and and just the buildup to Saturday is always fun. And I, I just love covering football generally. Basketball is is amazing and just it gets you through the winter. Not that this winter has been that tough, honestly, in central New York, but just that rhythm of what I've done my entire life and now am so fortunate to do as somebody that gets to cover this team. And, you know, I get to cover a lot of great events, but honestly, my favorite is lacrosse. I played lacrosse. I love lacrosse. I love the sport. I love being immersed in it. I feel like I can almost cover lacrosse, but do it in, in, because, you know, when you're covering football and basketball and what that means in terms of our coverage on Syracuse.com and, and what people rely on me for, it's, it's not pressure. I'm not trying to say it's a stressful job, but there's a responsibility there. It really feels like work in the sense of you want to do a great job with how high profile those sports are. Not that lacrosse isn't high profile at Syracuse. It's certainly the success in the past speaks to it, but I feel more connected to it because I didn't play football at a high level. I didn't play college basketball, obviously, but I did play lacrosse and I was, I was a pretty good lacrosse player up until I had to give it up in college. And I feel a connection to that sport. I love the community of lacrosse as much as this is one of the fastest growing sports in the, in the entire country and has been for the better part of 20 years or so. It's still a small community where kind of everybody knows everybody. And I love that feeling of it. And I just love the sport. And particularly now when you've got a men's lacrosse team that's on the rise again and Joey Spolina comes in and what Gary Gates doing with the program, the women's program and the success that they've had in recent years. I think that's my favorite sport to cover because it just does not feel like work at all because I'm just such a huge lacrosse fan and played the sport and really feel a connection to it. Now, in terms of my favorite Syracuse team ever, this is easy. The 1996 men's basketball team that went to the national championship game. You know the squad. The Cuse is in the house. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Took Kentucky to the brink, a Kentucky team, by the way, that had, what, eight NBA pros on it, and had John Wallace not gotten into foul trouble, I think we could be having a conversation about Jim Beheim having two national championships. And what a win that would have been if they had beaten that Kentucky team, which is a loaded squad. What makes that my favorite team is that was my senior year in high school, 1996. And the way that we, as a community... Like, you could not drive past four houses in your neighborhood during that final four run. The Post Standard, and I believe maybe the Syracuse Herald Journal at the time, printed the Cuses in the house, oh my God, oh my God, full page, orange newspaper pullout, and everybody put that in their window, right? And while there's been other, you know, championship runs, certainly 2003, final four runs, surprise tournament runs that kind of capture the spirit of the community, there was something special about that. And there was some fun things that we did. So when the team came back, I want to say, was it from the championship game? I don't remember exactly which airport run it was, but we skipped school and we went to the airport and welcomed the team back. And I just remember a really good friend of mine in school, shout out to Michelle, she was in love with Jason Sapola. Just loved Jason Sapola. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of cruel in a way, but I got a kick out of it and later everybody got a laugh out of it. So I faked an autograph from Jason Sapola to Michelle, right? And like for I can't remember how long, but we had her going on that. But 
Uh, that was fun. And just, I just remember that the community and just being wrapped up in that team and just how fun it was and how unlikely it was like nobody, they were, they were a four seed, like they were good, but nobody thought that team was final four championship worthy. The buzzer beaters from John Wallace, uh, Sapola had a great buzzer beater there. That team was just so fun. And that run was so fun and it was a great time in my life. And it was, it will always be one of my favorite teams. And there's so many to pick from, you know, growing up here and watching Pearl Washington and Sherman Douglas and Derek Coleman, and those teams, as I mentioned, growing up playing lacrosse and watching the Gate brothers and later the Powell brothers and, you know, the 87 undefeated football team. There's a lot of great candidates there, but there's, there's something about that 96 team that, that really sticks with me and a great question from Talicia. Now, both Paul and Gabe wanted to know this, kind of current events, and what do we do about court storming? I don't think you can do anything about it, to be honest with you. The people that are calling to ban court storming, well, who bans it? The NCAA? Okay, name me, we're at the Syracuse-North Carolina game a couple weeks ago. Syracuse is about to pull the upset on North Carolina. What college kid is going to turn to his buddy and be like, hold on there, Tex. We can't rush the court because the NCAA says we can't, right? Bring an extra security. Well, not, there's 300 programs that play college basketball. They don't all have the ability to bring an extra security. And do you really want security, if you will, who that security is getting physical with college kids trying to run the court? There, there's, there's lawsuits all over the place there. Nobody wants to touch that. I think the most honest solution I've heard, and Gabe actually brought this to my attention, who asked the question, is you just have to recognize what's happening. Like at that Syracuse, North Carolina game, when they rushed the court, they started forming around the court with like 40 seconds left. Everybody knew it was going to happen. So at some point, the officials, probably the most likely to do this, stop the game, grab the microphone and say, everybody, we get it. You're going to rush the floor. You're going to do it calmly. You're going to do it safely. And you're not going to do it until the visiting team's off the court. Because the issue, of course, has been Caitlin Clark and uh, Kyle Filipowski have been hit. Filipowski with the ankle. Caitlin Clark kind of collided with a fan that ran on the court that had beaten Iowa. You give a grace period. Only has to be like a minute or so. Get the other team off the court, which would be difficult to do if it was like a buzzer beater situation, right? But most of the time, you sense it's happening. Just get the other team off the court. Everybody do it safely. But you can't ban it. You can't just arrest everybody on the court. Fines aren't going to work. People aren't going to care about that. They do that now in the SEC. If you rush the field in the SEC in football, you get fined $100,000, and the fines climb the more you do it. I think you have to learn to live with it. I like that kids get to do it and get to have their moment, as these SU students did a couple weeks ago when they beat North Carolina. I just think it's unreasonable to be like, ban it. Well, who's going to ban it? Congress? <laughs> like Every state has different laws about these things. And I just feel like, well, it's unfortunate what happened to Kyle Filipowski. It's unfortunate what happened to Caitlin Clark. You have to be reasonable about this. And I feel like that one-minute grace period, own it, sense what's happening, and be like, okay, everybody, we know what's going on here. Let's be safe. Let's do this right. We're going to get the other team off the court, and then you guys can do your thing and do it safely. I, I think that's the most reasonable thing to do. Jim B., not that Jim B. Says, any talk on the Hill regarding Syracuse's future plans if the ACC is broken up? 
Now, I don't have any specifics here on this, Jim. I do feel like when that day comes, and it's coming, especially with the lawsuit with Florida State, I feel like the ACC and Florida State are going to come up with some sort of compromise here, which the ACC is in, under no obligation to do. And if I was them, frankly, I would hold the line with the grant of rights as long as I possibly could here. But the realities of television money, teams wanting to go to greener pastures, someone's going to find, no one has yet, and it's not like lawyers haven't spent hours trying to find the crack in the armor here to get out of the ACC's grant of rights, which goes through 2036. That is an eternity in the college sports landscape these days. That's 12 years from now. Look at how big these TV deals are, how the SEC and the Big Ten are only getting bigger. The Power Five is now literally the Power Four. It could condense down even more than that. The NCAA is about to fall in on itself, especially with that latest lawsuit that they lost. So my answer to that is I know that John Wildhack is a plan. I have talked to people about this. I don't know what the details are. I don't know if it's beg and plea to get into the Big Ten. I don't know if the Big 12 would welcome Syracuse in. I don't know if it's like Big East 2.0. But what I can tell you is from people I've talked to, like, oh, yeah, when D-Day comes, he has a plan. And he would be a very inept athletic director if he didn't, if he didn't stay on top of this. Now, Wildhack, remember, came from ESPN. He knows the media workings here. He knows how to work TV deals. He knows the players. He is one of the most important voices in the room for that with the ACC. They talk about it at all the league meetings. They talk about it all the time. So I don't know what the plan would be, but I know that there is a plan in place that they would enact whatever D-Day is with the if Florida State wins the lawsuit if the ACC falls in on itself somehow, whatever that is. And I do think Syracuse will come out of this okay. I think Syracuse is is a brand and is, you know, they got into the ACC basically on the premise that they brought in viewers from New York City. And they still kind of, they just said it the other day, they're New York's college team, right? They still can lean on that connection, the alumni base that's there. And I still feel like, you get Syracuse, you get New York, and they're going to be a, a valuable entity if that's television, if that's streaming, whatever the future of media rights is going to be. The brand is strong enough, particularly if the football team turns it around here under Fran Brown, as you guys have questions on and a lot of people are wondering about. I think Syracuse will be okay in whatever the next iteration of conferences is and in where we're going here. But yes, there is a plan. I wish I knew more details about it, but uh, for sure, it's been talked about and it's in. Okay, Rick G says, Brent, how good do you think this football team will really be? Air quotes, easy schedule, great recruiting, but do you think Fran Brown can bring it all together and have a fill-in-the-blank year? Similar question from my guy John W. who says, for uh, Dear Axe, Fran Brown has done a fantastic job of recruiting in the first three months of his tenure. In your opinion, will Brown and staff be able to carry over the same momentum to on-field coaching? This is the million-dollar question with Fran Brown and company. And what I can tell you is Fran Brown was at Kirby Smart's side in almost like a Miyagi-LaRusso relationship when he was there to copious notes. Kirby Smart, now Kirby Smart's going to talk up his guy, right? But I was struck by what John Wildhack said in a couple of media appearances about just how Kirby Smart could not rave enough, not just about Fran Brown, but specifically how he has been getting ready to be a head coach, 
prepping to be a head coach, asking the right questions and what to do in these scenarios. He's got the recruiting thing down. He's already proven that. He's the nation's number one recruiter, recruits he's already brought into Syracuse. You're seeing these lists that top four, uh, four or five-star players are putting out, and Syracuse is on the list with a lot of these major schools at this point. So they've almost already checked the recruiting box in a way, the transfer portal, Kyle McCord, notably Fidel Diggs, and the next round of the portal opens in the middle of April from the 16th to the 30th. And we'll see what Syracuse pursues there and who comes and goes after spring practice, which concludes on April 20th with the spring game at the dome. But you're only as good as your assistants. And I look at Jeff Nixon, who has been an offensive coordinator, was the coordinator at Baylor in 2019 when they went to the Big 12 championship game and scored a bunch of points. I look at Elijah Robinson. He was starting to get more responsibility, calling the defense. Now he was the co-defensive coordinator at Texas A&M. I look at Nunzio Campanelli. I look at some coaches on the staff that have experience. But it all comes down to the head man. So the big question is, how does Fran Brown delegate? Because through all this, the sea change we've already seen, Whatever changes that Brown puts in, he brought up the schedule, which is certainly manageable for Syracuse this year, right? But a lot of things have to come together quickly with new faces, the portal, recruits, even the players coming back, Marlo Wax, Justin Barron, LaQuinn Allen, you know, Aronde Gatson. They've got to get used to the Fran Brown way. And so much has to gel quickly for this team through the offseason, through the summer, and of course, through fall camp before they open up against Ohio to start the season. What does Fran Brown delegate? He's certainly, I think, going to let Jeff Nixon run the offense. He's a defensive-minded coach. Give it to Jeff. Let him do his thing. I think running a pro-style offense is smart. I think you read the room. You see what this team's capable of. you got a veteran quarterback and Kyle McCord, who's not a lot you can throw at him. He's not going to know at this point. It comes down to how you delegate. Health is always important. The offensive line holding up, which... I still think they need to add a couple of bodies there in the portal in the offensive line. We'll see how that goes here. But I love that you guys are asking good questions. They're also kind of unanswerable questions because we're just not going to know until we see Fran Brown do it starting against Ohio later this year. But that is going to be ultimately what defines success for Syracuse football, how Fran Brown is as a game day coach. Because through it all, through eight years, particularly the last few years of Dino Babers, That was the biggest problem. On-field decision-making. On to more of your questions. Ed in North Syracuse says, Brent, here's my ask me anything or ask Brent anything question. Any idea when Larry Zonka goes up on the ring of honor at Syracuse? Boy, that's a great question. Is Zonka ring of honor worthy? Right, And the Ring of Honor came up in the past couple of years. Certainly retiring numbers and retiring jerseys is a big deal. I, frankly, I'm proud that I was one of the loudest voices that pressured Syracuse into starting to get into retiring female jerseys with Felicia Legat-Jack being the first and then more have come since then. So nothing against Larry Zonka, who I don't know if he's Ring of Honor worthy because you look at the names that are up there now, Dave Bing, Jim Beheim. Ben Schwartzwalder, uh, Roy Simmons uh, Jr., Jim Brown, Floyd Little. Like, these are icons. These are legends. Larry Zonka's a Hall of Famer. And Larry Zonka, I mean, come on. I mean, 
just do I need to give you the resume? He recently brought out the Lombardi Trophy at the Super Bowl this year. But is he Ring of Honor? I think he falls just short of Ring of Honor. Frankly, I'd like to see Syracuse in its next Ring of Honor, honoree, if you will. Let's find that that woman who deserves to be up there, Doris Soliday or Felicia Leggett-Jack, maybe. I mean, she's the current coach. That would be kind of weird to do that. But someone that has made that kind of impact on female athletics at Syracuse University, and they get to go up next. So nothing against Larry. We all know the name. He deserves every honor he could get. I just don't know if he's quite reach ring of honor territory. We shall see, though. Frankie S., I like this. We're kind of getting off the sports page a little bit. But he's going to be here at the JMA Wireless Dome less than two months from now. Frankie says, given that we're both Bruce fanatics. There's my guy right there behind me, right? What are your top five favorite Springsteen songs? Oh, man, you're going to make me pick. So I was going over this. This list changed 100 times. I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, wait a minute. No, that should have been on the list. So with it in mind that this can fluctuate and it can change just based on my mood, based on certain albums I'm into, just kind of you're listening to Springsteen and that song pops up. You're like, oh, man, that song, right? But if I really had to boil it down for you, Frankie, here's my top five. Number five is Brilliant Disguise. Lyrically, I think that's one of the greatest songs that Springsteen ever wrote. It really hits home. It's straightforward. I love the music video. You ever see the video of Brilliant Disguise? It, I love how they did it. It's black and white. It's Bruce in a chair. He actually sings in the video, which sounds weird, right? But typically music videos are lip synced. He's actually singing in it. And slowly but surely, the camera pans in through the f- course of a four minute video until like you are literally like in his nose i just love that song every time it comes on it just hits me in the feels and i I feel it's like it's one of the greatest songs he's ever written number four is ghosts a recent addition to the list off of letter to you their most recent album that song just rocks i just i just have no other explanation than it comes in hard i hear the sound of your guitar and they just go and I love the story of it. I love who he's paying tribute to in that song. And, you know, the, the sounds of the ghosts in the house and just that entire album is just a, a love letter to his band, to making music itself, to rock and roll, to the fans. Like, Letter to You, for some reason, just doesn't come up in the conversation. if it's only a couple of years old and it came out during the pandemic and maybe it got lost in the shuffle there. But that is a great album and ghosts is my favorite song off of it another album that i don't think gets it's it's due and bruce has made some legendary albums here let's let's not get crazy here is magic and my favorite song on magic is living in the future living in the future is my favorite springsteen lyric which is we're living in, uh, don't really darling no baby don't you fret we're living in the future and none of this has happened yet i just love that and i love that song and that's just an album that doesn't get talked about enough in true Bruce fans really appreciate it. But I mean, you're talking about, you know, some of the albums that Springsteen has made, like it's understandable in a way while it gets lost in the shuffle, but it really shouldn't. So that's number three. And my top two, 
I'm not going to blow you away with some like underrated song or, or something that comes off of like Nebraska or something. No, my, my top two are born to run. And my favorite is jungle land. Jungle land is a masterpiece. It, it's just, it's an incredible story. Every time when that saxophone comes in from the big man and just the story of all the poets down here, don't write nothing at all. They just stand back and let it be. It's, it's just, when you hear jungle land, you have to stop and appreciate it. Jungle Land's not one of those like you're bopping in the car to and like you 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 have to like stop and appreciate it. It's almost like a fine wine or a cigar. Like you are forced to listen to that song and appreciate that song and you know Born to Run is like the perfect rock song and we all uh, Bruce fans know the labor he put into that. But then you got Jungle Land on the same album, which is it's a masterpiece. I think it's one of the greatest American rock songs ever produced, written, and done, and absolute masterpiece. That top five could change tomorrow, by the way. Because <laughs> I'm going to go, especially in the ramp-up to the show at the Dome, I'm going to be listening to a lot of Springs team. Like, wait a minute, no, no, that song. But good question, Frankie. A couple more from you guys. From Michael G. says, Brent, if we could ask anything, I'd be interested in your favorite book of all time. As an Authors Guild employee, I'm always interested in, in what writers read. So I thought about this for a little bit, and I think there's some typical sports books out there that people really got into. Friday Night Lights, in particular, was a favorite of mine. Three Nights in August was a favorite of mine. I read a lot of biographies through the years that were really good on you know, just people that I was into in sports. And you have all the literary classics that we could mention here and, and some of those things that really pop up, but... I forgot to grab it before I recorded the podcast, but you know what my favorite book is, honestly? Uh, Heir to the Empire, Timothy Zahn. It's a Star Wars book, but and I've read 100 Star Wars books, but the reason that's my favorite book is it reignited my love for Star Wars. So Heir of the Empire came out in the early, I think, 91, and I just didn't know this was possible. Like, you're a kid, you see the movies... And then it just kind of faded out. Today, we're so spoiled. There's all these shows on Disney+. Plus. We get new Star Wars content all the time through comic books, through TV shows, through all kinds of things. They were just fed constantly, right? Movies every other year. It seems like they've been on a little bit of a dry spell lately. But then we didn't have that. So I read this book, Heir of the Empire which continues the adventures of Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and all these characters that I just fell in love with as a kid, right? And it just opened up this whole new world of Star Wars that I didn't know even existed. And then came Dark Force Rising and The Last Command. So that trilogy is actually my favorite set of books. I reread it every other summer just to kind of get back into it and capture that feeling again and that's what really of all the things that can get you into star wars that actually really made me the big star wars fan that i am i mean certainly as a kid and you go to the movies and you play with the toys and everything but you get a little older and you get to appreciate what it is and i just think of how a good book think of how a good book can open up this whole new world for you and you can read it tomorrow and feel the same way you did the first time you did. And that book does it for me. So I know that's, I'm not talking about like Shakespeare or anything, but that's my favorite. That's the one. And uh, 
I'm a Star Wars fan to this day because of that book, even more than the movies to this point. But great question, Michael. And we're going to end with this one from Madden Cuse, who sent in this question. What time frame would you put on a new arena for the Syracuse Crunch? Am I playing fantasy land here, or is this going to happen in our lifetimes? Madden Cuse, I feel like this is going to happen. I feel like this is something that Ryan McMahon, the county executive here, can build a legacy on now that he's been reelected. He's the county executive. He's a little busy with his aquarium right now, and certainly Micron and everything that's happening there is keeping our county executive busy. But listen, that war memorial has run its course. I completely understand how sensitive this has to be done. It is a a war memorial. It is a, a memorial for those that serve this country and what that means and why it was built. But as a facility, it is dated, it is aged, and it needs to be redone. And we need to either redo it or just build a new one downtown, which can certainly going forward, pay tribute to our veterans in as respectful a way as we possibly can. My father served in Vietnam. Trust me, I, I understand what that place means to people. But if we're being real here, this was a facility built in the mid-1950s, and they have they've renovated, I think, to the best of their ability, the new scoreboard and the suites, and it's it, it's got that old charm. They filmed Slapshot there, and I love going in the old barn. Players love it. It's still an amazing home ice advantage for the crunch, but they need a new facility downtown, not just for hockey games, but for all the other events that they're probably missing out on because Syracuse doesn't have an arena that's up to standard, even of what Rochester has, right? They're talking about building a new facility in Buffalo. And I'm like, man, if we had that here, I mean, I would, I would certainly love that. And, and that needs to be refurbished as well. I think that this is going to happen. I feel like Howard Dolgan is going to push for it. Syracuse Crunch have been here for 30 years, and to ensure they're going to be here beyond that, I f it's not just for the hockey team, by the way. It this can If you can get $75 million to build an aquarium, which I'm in favor of, by the way. I get the, the tourist angle of it and something else to do, and why not, right? Why fight something like that? The more things there are to do in this town, the better, if you ask me. But we're talking about the heart of downtown, an arena that could host so much more in addition to 40 hockey games a year, if they do it right and they refurbish it. And I do think it's going to happen. Just time alone, how old that facility is. But, you know how these things go. They're going to have to fight about taxes and who does it and who builds it. And like I said, they've got to properly honor our veterans and how important that is. But Madden Cuse, if you wanted me to put a time frame on it, I'm going to say in the next year or two, you're really going to start to see a push for this. And I don't think it's fantasy land. I do think it is eventually going to happen after everybody, you know, does their hand wringing and does exactly what they need to do to make it happen. But I'm going to say, I, now I have no idea when it's going to be built. That's a bigger question, right? But I think in the next couple of years, you're going to start to hear some concrete plans put out there and a real push for that facility. And remember, not just for the crunch, but they are the primary tenant of the war memorial. So I get why that would anchor that conversation. Amazing questions from you guys. Really enjoyed doing this. We will definitely do it more as we go through uh, the next few months here, but don't forget about our uh, Syracuse Sports podcast coming up with uh, Kelly Gramlich, Rick Beardsley, Patrick Stevens, our post-game shows that we'll be doing through the course of the season. There's only a few games left, right? And then into tournament play, but we've been doing it all year and we'll continue to do it until Syracuse Hoops is over. 
Spring football is around the corner. When basketball season ends, we talked about it on this podcast, the portal and transfers and NIL and what's going on there. We're going to be all over it here on Syracuse Sports. You guys can always send your questions in as a Syracuse Sports Insider. Just text the word ORANGE to 315-847-3895 to become a Syracuse Sports Insider today. Send me your questions, your thoughts, your opinions, your questions anytime. You could try it free for two weeks, and then it's just $3.99 a month after that. We would love for you to become a Syracuse Sports Insider. That is this edition of Axe Brent Anything. Thank you, thank you. Presented by Krause Health, the exclusive healthcare partner for SU Athletics. We will talk to you next time, guys. Thanks for hanging today.